everyone knows about. Everyone plays games. And it was kind of my dream when I was younger for for that to be true. But now that it's happened, I, I, I just can't come to terms with it. Hello, and welcome to Why Button, the podcast that asks why we care about video games. I'm your host, Kyle Starr. On this show, I interview creators, enthusiasts, journalists, and media personalities about their origins with video games, what keeps them so interested in the medium, and what excites them about the future. On this episode, I chat with Robert Ashley, host of the legendary internet radio show, A Life Well Wasted. Years ago, I was turned on to A Life Well Wasted and it changed my career trajectory, enthusiasm for video game journalism, and how I saw video games as a whole. In this episode, Robert and I certainly talk about A Life Well Wasted and video games, but we also get into music, food, parenting, all with the goal of asking why we care about video games. This was a very special episode for me. I'm still like pinching myself that I got Robert on the show. So I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. It was like a dream come true as evidenced by the A Life Well Wasted poster behind me in my studio. I, I'm seeing I'm seeing a pretty fancy poster back there. It's looking pretty nice. It actually looks exactly like my copy of it like you have the same frame somehow oh my god <laughs> yeah that's cool that's amazing i i didn't want it to be too awkward but uh you know it's like you can't wear your uh favorite band or your the, the band you're going to see uh you can't yeah. wear the shirt to the show right that's kind of where i am with this like how's it how are you going to react to the poster of your work right behind me but <laughs> well luckily i didn't make you know i didn't draw the poster so <laughs> I, it feels less weird i'm still like i'm struggling to get the poster orders filled it's such a massive job um and i haven't had time because i've been busy doing like other i somehow landed all this other podcasting work which is distracting me right now but you know i don't i i like to have you know money so yeah um, for sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm curious about that. i'm actually uh, why don't i just jump into it and then cause yeah, that, yeah that's actually a great uh, a great way to, to sort of start is what, what you're up to but robert ashley thanks for joining me on on why button the premise of the show is to ask why we even care about video games to begin with and i you are a large inspiration for where the show came from we can get into that in a bit um so i guess first and foremost thank you but um I really wanted to have you on the show because you seem to have some interest in games and I'd like to kind of <laughs> pick at that a little bit. I think our listeners probably know you best from your extensive VO work on Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP. Hmm. Huh? Hey. Um, but I think you have some, <laughs> you, you do a few other things as well. And I'm, I'm sort of curious, uh, I guess, introduce yourself uh, for, for folks who may not know you. Yeah, my name's Robert Ashley. Um, I have done many random things over the course of my 44 years. For, for a long time, I was living in the Bay Area in California and worked for a bunch of video game magazines that were out of the Ziff Davis office there. And that's kind of where I started getting into this stuff. There, there was a very early podcast there called GFW Radio because it was actually there was a magazine called Computer Gaming World that had been around for like 25 years or something and then Microsoft bought it and rebranded it when they decided to have that Games for Windows initiative that you know destroyed Steam and made a lot of money for Microsoft or no actually it didn't it <laughs> failed miserably um, but they renamed the magazine to that and we had this podcast and uh, that's how I got into the podcasting thing because there was just a bunch of like 
people showing up to listen to that thing. And I was baffled by it. I was like, why? I, I did all this work for the magazine. I would never hear back about, you know, the cover story that I spent 20 hours writing. But you go on GFW radio and make a dumb joke about Yaddle and Star Wars. And people are like, and <laughs> typing, <laughs> typing on the message boards. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I took that as a signal that, you know, maybe maybe the the podcasting thing is a place to be and and I've always been a fan of radio um I I was very into NPR in my youth I guess I I would do some like temp jobs filing files in medical offices and I would have my headphones and just listen to NPR and shows like This American Life uh radio well radio lab was later but you know I'm saying I got into that stuff and I was already like playing in bands and recording bands because I had all this gear and Mm -hmm. so I started doing podcasting and stuff and that's kind of um, where I made more of a name for myself if I ever have so far. <laughs> but you mentioned Super Brothers. That's funny. Um, Craig, the the guy who who um, created that game, he was a fan of A Life Well Wasted, my my video game show that I eventually came up with, and he asked me to just improv some things for that game. And then that game ended up being like a, a pretty big iPhone game. I mean, it was like one of those games yeah. that everyone bought. So if you ever play it, you can hear me randomly um, like coming up with some, some I, I, I remember like di- something that I came up with about like, hey, do you like blood sports? Like uh, some, some strange line of dialogue that I came up with. Uh, there's not a lot of speaking in that game. But I also did some vocal work for his new game, newish game, Jet. I don't know if oh, you yeah, played yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was curious about that. It's a whole different thing. You know, the first game was kind of a traditional adventure game in some ways. And Jet is this exploration game that's a lot more ambitious. Um, and it has like a fictional language that... Mm-hmm. Someone, someone there helped create this language based some, somewhat on the idea of the sacred harp music. Sacred harp singing is communal singing using a form of notation we call shape note notation, where each degree of the scale has a particular shape associated with it. And it's sung in four-part harmony most of the time. Triangle for fa, oval for sol, rectangle for la, and then a diamond for me. Fa, sol, la, fa, sol, la, mi, fa. It's it's this like a full American folk tradition that um, that you know groups of singers would get together and do these like singing in the round things and they tried to do all this really ambitious stuff and it's it's a cool game but um, it's it's a little hard to wrap your head around compared to sword and sorcery which was very accessible accessible but weird like it is one oh, of super I think, weird yeah it, one of like my favorite I think games experiences period. It's one of those where you can't put down because you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what kind of like, I wouldn't even call it a mystery, but you don't know what it's going to do or how it's going to feel. It sort of starts out as like a Zelda, like a dark Zelda kind of vibe. But then, yeah, you've got somebody asking you about playing blood sports randomly. And then you're like, what, what is this game? You got to work with the moon cycle and stuff. And it's tweeting things out. It's very bizarre, but. Uh, oh, the tweeting. That was, that was, a yeah. you know, that's something that'll never be recreated. People talk about game preservation, but. There was this strange time when Twitter wasn't evil yet and people were incorporating Twitter into their game designs. And it also happened to coincide with that moment when there were lots of cool, interesting ideas happening on the iPhone for games. There, there mm-hmm. were like 
two or three years where, I mean, I was really focused on that stuff for a long time uh, as a player. And yeah, that game would, would tweet out. There were certain moments where you could tweet, you know, from the game and it kind of let everyone know where you were in the game and, and was also like pretty solid marketing. So yeah, <laughs> it was a good idea. Back to you. So uh, I want, I do want to get into life, a life well wasted. Um, cause yeah. truthfully that's like, that, that's what introduced me to you and your work. And again, it helped inspire this podcast and a lot of what I do even really truly got me into podcasting, which there's a whole career trajectory for me there that I, I won't really go into. But, um, so thank you for part of inspiring part of my career, I think at some level, <laughs> but you also have a, sh- a, a cooking show, a life well tasted, right? I'm just curious how, how serious is that? Uh, I mean, and, and why you got into food, obviously. And, and well, we're all into food or we die, but, uh, true. <laughs> uh it's like better yeah. food than others though. So true. Yeah. I I've actually always been into cooking. I, I, I was a only child. I stayed home alone from an early age and I have lots of fond memories of almost setting the house on fire, um, trying to figure out how to cook when I was, I don't know, eight. <laughs> uh, nice. but I, I, I've always cooked, um, and I was always pretty serious about it. When, when I said, like talked about moving to the San Francisco Bay area, we lived in, in Berkeley for six years, right down the street from this amazing grocery store called the Berkeley bowl. And I got like heavily into all the Berkeley, like cookbooks and all, you know, all the shape and niece and all that stuff. And I, I've just always been really into cooking. We don't really eat out much, especially now that we live in Norman, Oklahoma, not to like crap on it but it's just there's not a ton of places that i want to eat out all the time sure yeah so um i I like to cook at home and the show was really just one of those pandemic things and uh, you know i i had all this time and i was having a really hard time working on a life well wasted getting anything done that i wanted to get done and i found that i was spending like five hours a day in the kitchen already so i just bought a gopro uh, sort of inspired by kenji lopez who was doing um, head mounted cooking videos I, I don't really like being on camera much so the idea of like just see my point of view is much more comfortable for me and i made i, I made a bunch of those videos and uh, you know they were low <laughs> low viewership if they had caught on maybe i would have like continued to experiment with it. But as it was, I felt like I cooked a lot of the things that I was interested in cooking on camera. And then at that same time, I it was about right when I started looking into TikTok and all the cooking stuff on that. And I just started to feel like, oh my God, I can't do this. Like the the <laughs> level, the level of production that goes into cooking videos is just insane. I mean, I I don't even want to try to compete on that level. So, um, I, I still cook all the time though. Yeah. I checked out, you know, once TikTok came around, I was like, there's, there's just no way, like it's wild. Like the amount of time spent making those things and the, I don't know what the ROI is on it. We don't need to go on a tangent about TikTok, but it's just, it's wild what, um, how people are, are leveraging that platform or, or producing content in that or platform. Or not. I, I mean, I really don't know how much reward people are sure. getting for all that all the time. And yeah, I just, I, I think younger people seem to really value, um, attention and I don't mean it in a bad way. I just mean like maybe people my age were after being respected by a certain like crew of elites or something. Mm-hmm. But now like people want numbers. They want, uh, if, if they're out for like social, if they want to win in the social world, it's like a numbers game. It's not about like, well, I know this guy at the New Yorker. It's, it's like, I got, you know, a billion views and 
that's just a whole other world. And I hope that they make money for themselves and not just for the platform holder. Yeah. Well, speaking of production and numbers and, and whatnot, uh, I think that that helps me steer into uh, into a life well wasted a bit. So um, you started a life well wasted, the podcast. You you call it an internet radio show at the time. I don't know if the term podcasting was pervasive or you're just being cheeky at, uh, when you <laughs> when you launched it, but it was 2009. That was the previous recession, actually. The first episode kicks off with the death of EGM. Even the name sounds old and irrelevant. Electronic Gaming Monthly. It was a magazine for nerds. Sure, they tried to bury the name. The production value is, I think, through the roof. Um, In terms of early podcasting, it certainly stands toe-to-toe with things like This American Life and and Radio Lab and whatnot. That very high production. You're scoring. You and your band are scoring the the content uh, or the the shows. So it has its own unique soundtrack and and remixing inside of the the, uh, production as well. All was well until it wasn't. When the magazine closed earlier this month... But then all of a sudden it sort of starts tapering off. Like you you put out a couple episodes in 2010, kind of went through a hiatus into 2013. Another episode pops out and then hiatus again. Then you're back 10 years later. So I'm sort of curious why you even started... You, you touched on it a little bit, but why you even started A Life Well Wasted to begin with? Mm. Yeah, well, so yeah, going back to the magazine stuff, you know, like you said, the first episode is the death of EGM. EGM was this magazine that I read since I was a kid. Uh, electronic gaming monthly. I used to, you know, ask my mom to buy it for me at the grocery store when I was, I don't know, 10 years old or something. Uh, I always read it. I knew all the writers who worked there by name just from being a reader. I had always wanted to work there. And I actually, when I was in college, I majored in English. I didn't really have like a career in mind, but I ended up writing for the school newspaper at the University of Texas uh, called The Daily Texan. And I became the music editor there and was like, I want to write about games. And I just started, you know, writing to all the, the game companies and and getting stuff. Anyway, I, I that's how I sort of broke into the magazines and I, it was the job that I wanted to do most. But then, of course, like you said, the recession hit and we all know what happens in media whenever shit hits the fan. It just, you know, everything closes, everyone loses their job. It was, it was terrible and it was sad. And I had already been playing around with some radio stuff because I thought like maybe that would be a, a place for me to go out of the you know, out of the disaster of gaming media at the time, I had been trying to pitch stories to some other, some like NPR shows like Studio 360 was a show that used to exist. It wasn't NPR, it's like PRI. And I'd, I'd been playing around with it. And basically, I decided to just have a go at making my own show the way that I would like to hear it. And, and I used the occasion of going to a party that was happening in the mission in San Francisco, after the magazine closed, it was just like, you know, all the people who had worked there getting hammered and hanging out. And I brought my recorder and took people up to the roof and talked to them about the magazine and put it together. It probably took, you know, the the actual like create, you know, editing the episode and adding music and all that stuff for that one probably took 16 hours or something. It was like the easiest one. Uh, and every every episode since I would sort of raise the stakes on myself to do more. I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to like push myself to try all kinds of crazy stuff that I was interested in trying. I am Babzia and I play games as fast as possible without looking at the screen. You know how much I love introducing you all to things that you've never seen before? Well, now I get to introduce you all to something that the runner isn't even going to get to see at all. 
isn't even going to get to see it all. Isn't even going to get to see it all. Isn't Super Mario 64, 70 stars blindfolded. Bubsy is ready. Let's go over to the run. And that's how it remains today. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say after all these years that there are things that I'm desperate to try that are like more labor, more more laborious. I'm not trying to like labor over it more. Now I'm more just focused on being uh, good on the mic, like try, trying to be myself when when I need to talk, which is something that I struggle with when you're alone in a room and you're talking to a microphone. Like how do you how do you be yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm doing sort of the same with this. Like it was a wave. I wanted to get my voice out there, but I also had reservations about doing that. And I think that the conversation is one thing and I'm, I feel like I'm maybe getting better at doing this more naturally and then being less scripted and just kind of letting it flow. You said something uh, interesting when we were going back and forth in email of just like, basically just let it happen. Like no questions. Let's just see, see how this goes, which is great. But when I'm doing the intros and outros, I do a custom intro and outro for the show. I do feel that awkwardness of like, am I acting right now or am I being myself or what, yeah. what is this? Uh, so it is, it's, it takes practice, right? A lot. I talked about this on one of the previous episodes that a lot of people just say, you know, podcasting seems so easy, set up a mic um, and just talk. And that's not really it at all. You're thinking in your head about how you're navigating the conversation. How are you like bring, you know, moving from one thing to another and making something that feels good for the listener, but also... Uh, it's not a waste of your time or a waste of my time or, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of an art, right? And it takes practice. So. Well, I think that's why like the early successes in podcasting were all comedians. I think comedians train themselves to just like ramble, talk to yourself, talk out loud, like you're speaking to someone, even though you're really not, you're just talking to a room full of people, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's, it's a hard thing to get into that mode where you're really acting as you would with your friends. I really try Sometimes <laughs> this last one, I would, I have a, a friend of mine, Grant, that I work with uh, on other podcast stuff. And whenever I was feeling like too self-conscious or like too scripted or whatever, sometimes I'd call and be like, man, I can't like get in my, I can't find my voice and just talk to him for a minute because it's so weird it's really weird to be in a room talking by yourself it's strange it is strange um and, and to that point with the show you're investing so let's say 16 hours with that first episode talking to yourself scoring this thing i want to ask you about the music too and and your band but and you continue to raise the stakes and the production value and seemingly and maybe this isn't it at all but putting more more I guess some investment into the show that's take, making things take a little bit longer and then sort of maybe fizzling out, coming back, losing inspiration, that inspiration coming back again. You mentioned struggling with it in, during the pandemic a little bit. To get to the, I guess, heart of the question, why? Are you doing this for the sake of the show and radio and finding your voice and all of that? Or is there, does games have anything to do with it? Is it still a deep interest in that world? Or is this just a subject matter that you have, you know, and so it's a sort of a vehicle for for the other bits of it. Yeah. I mean, as far as subject matter goes, I go back and forth whether or not I find video games as a subject to be like constricting, restrictive, or like too narrow and, or, or whether it's just like nice to have a beat. Cause you know, you could tell a story about anything in the world. I'd be lying if I said it didn't have to do somewhat with the fact that like the audience for things about gaming is just really good. <laughs> you know, sure, yeah. like you want to go put a show out about music or, you know, 
novels or uh, I don't know, what, whatever you can come up with cooking, it's it's much more daunting to me. Whereas um, since I'm already on the inside on games and I sort of know the subject and I, you know, have have some uh, of those people, I just it's it's a lot easier to find an audience for stories like that. But, you know, I continue to be a big, huge game nerd myself. And so I, I stay I stay interested in that way. And I'm also I like to push the boundaries of what constitutes a, a story about games, you know, like yeah. some, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. sometimes it's not really much of a, you know, doesn't have much to do with games. Thinking uh, of one episode in particular, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an episode, uh, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a story in episode six Yes, uh, with Jonah Falcon who was a blogger, a video game blogger. So there's a connection there, but he's really just famous for kind of broadcasting to the world that he has the world's largest penis. And I found him to be just an interesting person and I wanted to do a profile on him. And that's what what I did. In case you missed it, Jonah Falcon, GameStooge.com blogger, freelance games journalist, and self-proclaimed geek has a 13 and a half inch penis touted by some as the largest penis in the world. Talk to Jonah for a bit, and you'll definitely hear about it. I definitely got some feedback, like, what does this have to do with games? There's always been a crowd of people who would listen to my show and really want it to be like an investigation of a topic. Like, you come up with a name and then you investigate it, whereas my process has always been, I'm just looking for good stories, and then when I find an idea that can hold those stories together, like, oh, three of these things work together in this, then I'm going to call it this. It's not like a exhaustive investigation of an idea. That's not really my style. I, I just want a good story. I'm Jonah Falcon. I'm a super hung James Charles. I think I, maybe part of that too is you are in some regard, I think, focusing on a part of the industry or games that is not often talked about. And I think people appreciate that level of detail or that that perspective on something that's maybe outside of games. That's certainly what I do. I, the, the show, I don't really focus on games per se. I may ask, what's your favorite game or, or what games are you currently playing or what sort of like sparked your inspiration and, and passion for games? But it's more about like the on the edges, like, again, why do we even care about this? And I think your show sort of started was really kind of poking at that on a more like psychological level about why we as a society even have any fascination with this. And so when you're not actually covering that, my I imagine listeners might go, this is not what I'm I'm here for, but it's still interesting. Again, the I if you're not into the what the story is, I'm into it for the production value. Like I think I think leaving the San Francisco Bay Area made it harder for me to find those kinds of stories and to focus on those subjects. Oh, sure, yeah. And and the, the those first few episodes, I was really still like coming out of being in the games media and feeling feeling that freedom to tell whatever story I'd wanted to tell because I'd been writing for so long uh, in a way where it would be like, you know, do you want to go to China and visit a studio in China and see the game there? Yeah, I want to. And you go there and you get on the plane and you do all this stuff and it's really cool and you meet all these people and then you come home and it's just like what they want you to write about is like tell me all the guns you can use in this game and like right. you know describe the gameplay it's just it was just like a boring take on what had so much more possibility for me uh, to me seemingly so i wanted to do those kinds of stories because i just couldn't do them in magazines i probably like just haven't really come across those kinds of topics 
in the same way. But I, you know, I, I make sure I, I feel like there's a certain alchemy to each episode where I, I want to, I want to a certain amount of, I don't know, maybe beard scratchy intellectual shit about video games. And then some, some like real, you know, a, a story that's more of a human interest story that has more feeling to it. That's just more about people. I like, like, I like funny. I like sad. I, I, I need a lot of energy and, and movement. And that's, that's kind of why there's so much music in it. I've, I've always felt like, um, when I'm making something like that, that after a couple of minutes of just pure plain audio, then I, I'm getting, I'm starting to tune out. I, I'm always wanting to like get people's attention totally, like 100%, like focus entirely on this. Don't tune it out. Uh, that that that's the that's the kind of radio that I'm after, like fully immersive. I guess it's something that I only feel um, like about my own work when I listen to someone else's podcast or whatever. I can listen to an interview. I'm not, I don't have ADD. It's just my, my own, <laughs> my own feeling about it when I'm trying to make radios, I, I need like more. And speaking of more, so you had, and life gets in the way. I'll start there. But like, again, you, you released a handful of episodes. It's I think five episodes in 2009. And then there was a little bit of a, a lull and then into 2010, like, and then the bigger lulls, 2013, 2023. What happened yeah. in that space there with the show in particular? Yeah. The lull between episode six and seven was moving to Athens, Georgia with my bandmate um, and my wife because she had graduated from Cal where she was getting her PhD and got a academic job in Athens, Georgia, which is a big music town. It was right after um, I come to Shanghai, my band had, we had uh, put out an album during that weird time period where there was like a download for free name your own price thing like Radiohead did it and then Mm -hmm. and then it was like a thing to do for it for a year or two and we actually like managed to pull in a decent amount of money so that we could focus on music full-time and I had this feeling partly because of the podcast of Life Well Wasted where I was like man I I, like I really made this happen like this this works now now I'm gonna do this with music You know, that was my feeling. And <laughs> that didn't really work out like that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, but I focused just entirely on music for quite a while. But I did manage to get another episode out. What, what was that? 2013? Yeah. Yeah. Right, be- yeah. right before my first kid was born. Oh, okay. And so, so in the, in the brand new episode, brand new by A Life Full Wasted Standards, uh, released December of last year, four months ago, there's a story in there where I was hanging out at the game developers conference in San Francisco. I'd actually like flown there specifically because I wanted to get material to work on a new episode. And I I can remember walking down the street there and like talking to my wife on the phone and her telling me that she was pregnant. And, and so that was really like, that was the thing that kind of stopped my podcasting for a a while. It could also have been the fact that I was mired in an enormous double album fiasco with my bandmate trying to once again, like uh, up the stakes and finally (laughs) prove to the world that I come to Shanghai should be heard. Uh, And it just got way out of control and took, you know, four or five years. Uh, It was insane. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 
Well, I mean, first of all, kids, kids will do that. I'm the crazy one who's deciding to start a podcast shortly after having our first kid. She's 11 months now, but it's it definitely all consuming, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. you know that when talking to the parents saying, well, appreciate your time now because you're not going to have it. And yes, I get that. I was hoping I could squeeze some things in here and there. But truthfully, it's like at least the stage in their life, it's you have to have an eye on them at all time. And so trading off with, you know, my wife and I, she's allowing me, giving me time to do this show on top of work and anything else I want to do. It's, it's tough. And so I totally get that. It's much easier to just drop that focus on family, which is, you know, the, the, I think the right, the wise and the right thing to do. So that's. Yeah. And really like, you know, my wife had been focused on becoming an academic and she really like, you know, she got into the position of being the person bringing home the bacon. So I, you know, I was, I was like really dad in it. There were, there were a couple of years where, I mean, I, I was still going to the studio and working on music, but I was taking care of my first kid like all the time. And mm-hmm. it was fun. I mean, it was, it was a fun time. I don't, I don't regret it in any way. I did learn over time that you can get more done with kids around if you really, really do it. Like you just have, you just have to force it. I I did a lot of work on this latest episode where, you know, I I used to have a a studio space with nice monitors set up like perfectly with all this audio treatment on the walls and the corners and, you know, all the gear and the low lights. And it was, you know, it was, I was ready for the Instagram post, but I wasn't getting shit done. And I finally, (laughs) I finally, like I, I have this half basement where it's really the family room where the TV is and I'm just jammed in the corner. And I did a lot of work on the show where my kids were just like playing video games on the TV right next to me and talking and being loud <laughs> and yeah. you just have to power through it. Totally. Yeah. You can get mired in all the gear and stuff too. I just, I'm the same way with music. There's a guitar on my wall right there and a bass right next to it and guitars in the closet and stuff. And yeah. in all honesty, I haven't touched it in, in months or a year at this point. And it's just like, but I still will stare at pedals and I'll buy pedals and I'll like never touching any of this stuff. <laughs> You're hoping the gear will bring you back in. Yeah, yeah that's exactly yeah. it. That's exactly it. Focusing on your band real quick. Is yeah. I Come to Shanghai still around? Are you guys still still working on stuff? No. I mean, I would be surprised if we played again. He he lives in Athens, Georgia. I live in Norman, Oklahoma. We're, you know, we didn't end on like bad terms or anything. Okay. And I have all the records. <laughs> like They're in my garage. People still order records. Like I, I get like a record order like once every two weeks and I'll go to my giant pile of records and pull one out and be like, one more down. I'll put it. I'll put it in order after this show. I promise. I've actually been meaning to, <laughs> to, to be honest. But uh, yeah, you'll you'll make a small dent in the in the armada of records that I have in my garage. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, I I still make music though. I I've actually my kids have gotten me back in in a cool way because my kids are super musical. Like I never mm-hmm. expected this, but they are like so into music, demandingly into music. And we jam and we play. My my nine year old Theo, he's he's a kind of crazy piano player. I mean, Whoa. I've been playing piano a lot, mainly just keeping up with him. I it got me really like working on my reading and music theory and that sort of thing. I'd say like I'm kind of a self-taught guy in music. Sure, yeah. uh, the dude that I worked with like went to school for it and everything. And so we had this nice combo of like primitive and schooled going on. But now I've been going to school partly because my son is so into it. And um, yeah, I, I, I play, I mean, I play a ton of piano, really uh, play a ton of, of drums. Uh, I still, you know, w- w- the the podcast gives me an excuse to want to record. I 
the that last experience with making an album made me really not like recording much so i've been focused just sort of like playing in the room i don't necessarily necessarily want to like lay things down or develop them in a vertical way since i can play like all the instruments i I used to always you know i'm gonna make a big old song and i'm gonna play every instrument on it and now i'm more focused on what i can do just in a room by myself with an eye toward performing uh which i'd like to do more but have not yet. But yeah, I'm still working on that. I mean, I I I wanted to make records from an early time, and I mean, I, I was in bands that, and we would go and record in studios, and I liked going to the studios and recording. But I loved the idea of like one man bands. I was very hmm. inspired. Uh, I remember by the microphones, Phil Elvrum, uh, Phil Elvrum's band, the microphones. It's this like lo-fi. Uh, project. He's 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 more famous now for his own solo stuff, but he he would go into go into the studio for that record label K or whatever, and they they had analog gear, and he played everything and would just make these crazy lo-fi wall of sound songs. I when I heard it I was like oh I can I can do this or even like there's a famous uh, Guided by Voices album B1000 that was all recorded on a four track and that made me also like because I had a four track and I, I got into it that way yes But I finally became like a decent musician over <laughs> over years of recording and for you know just having to play well enough to record. That now I'm more attracted to the idea of like playing with people. But being 44 in Norman, Oklahoma, isn't really a great way to meet people to like play music <laughs> with. Unfortunately, sure. we've got the technology now to do it though. Uh, record yourself, loop things, all that sort of stuff. You can you can pull it off. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's where I'm comfortable. I I, I feel comfortable right. with recording being the one man band. Yeah. You you mentioned something earlier. This is a pivot from music, but you mentioned something earlier about the audience for games. I I was thinking like, why do you think that is? Why do you think games as an audience is so interested, engaged, ravenous? I don't know what the, what word to use, but like, (laughs) yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it too. But maybe I'm also just like in my own silo and I'm missing engagement on the other, uh, in other places, but I do feel like excitement and enthusiasm and and passion around games is different. It's not just excitement and enthusiasm though. It's it's economic. I mean, I don't have data sure. to back this up, but I, I I have a strong sense that the gaming audience is educated and makes good money. Mm. Lot, lots of college grads and uh, with with money to spare and an enjoyment of games that knows no bounds, uh, you know. And, and really, it's one of those things that, you know, people identify with so personally that, you know, they like to buy not just games, but also things that, you know, objects and clothes and uh, all, all kinds of signifiers of culture. It's like a subculture. It reminds me a lot of music, uh, you know, if you go back to the 90s or the early 2000s when people were still spending money on music. <laughs> and, uh, you know, p- there was a strong culture of, you know, bragging about who you've been to see, like with the, the, the shows you've seen. I feel like that that kind of left in the streaming era when people stopped spending money on music in general. It used to be kind of a signifier of who you were. You you would right. you would spend all your money to try to be part of part of the crowd, right? And or to find that band, you know, to be the yeah. one that you you brought it to everybody's attention, right? That, that was your yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. 
video games uh, re- remains this place where people are just willing to spend a lot of money and time there. And I, the thing that I have been sleeping on that I'm only coming to terms with now is that video games are just so um, mainstream now. Like they're such a big part of just mainstream culture. Like I've always approached it as a niche subject to the point of where when I make, you know, my show, I've always made it in a way where I really didn't want it to be for a niche audience. I wanted anyone, like if you didn't care about games, you'd still be able to get something from it if you listen to it. And I find that now you kind of like don't even have to think about it in that way anymore because it's just such a huge, Huge subject that everyone knows about. Everyone plays games, and it was kind of my dream when I was younger for for that to be true. But now that it's happened, I I, I just can't come to terms with it. It's strange. I I meet kids on the playground who are like eight years old who play NES games. Like I, I like there there's there's just such a strong deep culture of gaming knowledge. Uh, you know, like if you're if you're a geek for games as a kid now, you're going like into the back catalog. It's again. Again, it's like music to me in the same way that, you know, when you when you get into music, you you go backwards. You got to go. You got to hear the Beatles. You got to hear Miles Davis. You got to yeah. you got to like travel back in time and understand. And I, I, I meet more and more young people who have that attitude about it. And I think that's super cool. I, I'm, I'm blown away that there's such an interest. It's not just like mindless BS. Like what, what um, we saw the other day, me and my my kid, we watched uh, Free Guy, that movie. Sure, about yeah, Ryan like a Reynolds, GTA. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We watched that, and and I thought that was such a weird idea of what games culture is because it, it was all very like just boom, boom, like you know everyone wants to go on, go on and just blow stuff up. That that doesn't actually seem like the culture that exists now. Maybe if you're like a teenage boy, but there's just a lot a lot more love of of like the whole history of games going on. Yeah, I, it's funny you say that too. Again, this show not to be super self referential every now and then, but I was trying to figure out what the angle was, how how I'd want to talk about games. I wanted to show about games, but there's so many of them out there. And I was funny enough listening to my, my wife listens to Smartless, the podcast with Jason Bateman and Will Arnett and Sean Hayes. And it was like a pandemic project for them. Um, they had Ryan Johnson on the episode director of one of the, the new Star Wars movies and uh, what's the Knives Out and whatnot. And all of a sudden in that episode, he and one of the hosts, Will Arnett, started talking about games. And it was just like this moment where I was like, I had that epiphany, not not even an epiphany then because I've had it before, but it was like a really striking moment for me where it was like these two huge, you know, this this huge director, this huge actor are talking about their love for games and what makes them unique. Um, I forget which games they started talking about, but it wasn't just like Call of Duty and whatnot. They started talking about more, I, I would assume, niche titles or indie titles too. And it just was shocking to me, like, because in my head as well, growing up with it, feeling like it was a a niche medium, it's interesting to see it everywhere. I mean, there's a the Mario movie that came out is just like going that gangbusters. Blew my mind. It's like the it's Mario insane, right? And just yeah. the movie itself, it's like I, I couldn't believe they made this movie because I mean, it's literally just like okay, in this scene, Mario gets power ups. It is, it's like the most video gamey version of a video game movie I could ever imagine. They just really tried to use everything. I mean, they use your your memories and your joy of having played these games as the movie itself. There's not, if, if you hadn't had that connection already, I don't know what someone thinks watching that movie who doesn't 
know Mario because it just must be like impenetrable. <laughs> it's, all, sure. it's just a series of of references, and you know the fact that like he's got to get power ups to win the battles, and all, all just all this stuff that never would have flown uh, in in a movie about video games ten years ago. It, it's so strange, but yeah, I, I mean it's 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 fantastic that games have found this audience. I mean, it doesn't change the fact that for me when I was growing up, I felt like a huge fucking weirdo, <laughs> you know, for being so involved in this stuff. It was not cool at all. Um, and, but I mean, it's, I'm, I feel good for the young folks who don't have to deal with that. Yeah. What, what was your sort of first memories of games? What were some of those games that, that mm. you recall growing up with? My, well, my, uh, my parents divorced when I was really young. And, and so um, my first memories of games would be like going to visit my dad on the weekend and he would take me to this place in Dallas called Sharky's Pool Hall and uh, during the day and he would just like fill my pockets with quarters while he played pool and drank beer at the bar and uh, and I played I played stuff like Frogger and Miss Pac-Man and all, all those like arcade classics Defender games that were really hard you know if you're if you were like an eight-year-old kid and you're playing yeah. Defender you put a quarter in it's gone in you know 30 seconds and you got to put another <laughs> quarter in you know um, yeah. and luckily my dad really liked to play pools so I got a lot of quarters and uh, yeah all my all my early memories were arcade games and then I got an NES for my eighth birthday at pizza hut nice. um of all places, what a, all what places. a '90s dream! Yeah, '80s '90s dream. Right <laughs> '80s, there, it yeah. was '80s because it was like '88 yeah, yeah, or '87. Yeah. Uh, it was before Pepsi bought them. You know, it was a a, a pre pre Pepsi Pizza Hut, and I, I used to wake up early in the morning so that I could play Mario before school. I'd wake up at like six in the morning and just play Mario for an hour and a half, and then go to school. Any any anything I could get my hands on when it came to games was. Uh, was huge for me. Friends who had stuff, I was at their house all the time. I, I just, I was always super attracted to it. And I was always into the magazines. Even before Electronic Gaming Monthly, I used to buy something called Video Games and Computer Entertainment, which was <laughs> really, really, really nerdy. But, you know, I just wanted to know everything about it. Yeah. What is your current relationship with games today? Are you playing much? I mean, with your kids, maybe, or, or just on your own? Uh, I mean, I play, uh, I play when I can on my own. It, it definitely, it's, it's hard for me, but I, I'm a good finisher of games. I, I went oh, through a period when I was a little bit younger in my thirties where I dallied a lot and like never finished anything and I hated it. So now I really stick with games, even when they take me forever to finish. But I, I play a lot of indie stuff. I, I play Steam Deck probably more than anything because my best time for playing games is probably just like laying in bed right before I fall asleep. I get get like 30 minutes in. Um, mm -hmm. But I do play with my kids. We have like an ongoing Mario Kart situation where we play after dinner all the time. And I just I don't let my kids win. I'm evil like that. And I find I find that my 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 nine year old is really getting good. I mean, he can he can beat me like one out of every eight races now. He gets furious, though. He, he's so frustrated that that like he can't dominate me or that he can't consistently win. But I mean, he's he's learning. He's learning. 
You're teaching them how to be competitive, you know. (laughs) Yeah, man, I'm not going to throw Mario Kart. Actually, I did throw Mario Kart when he was first learning. Mm -hmm. I used to go, I used to like hang out behind him and use all the weapons to hold off the people behind so that he could get first place. That's a good dad right there. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But uh, but then he played enough by himself and figured out how to drift to the point where it's like he can. Yeah, he has his levels. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I wish I could play more, but I I find that there are other things, not just the kids, but just other things in life that I like to spend my time on. Like I probably spend like twice as much time playing the piano as I spend playing video games. And I, I just like piano more. <laughs> you know, if I, have sure. to, if I have to divide up my time that way, then I'm just going to play more piano. But I, I definitely bounce off of certain games that I want to, play like I, I i tried a little bit of elden ring i probably put like 10 hours into it and was like man i just i don't have a life for this it doesn't yeah, work same. with my life yeah that's the other interesting thing with games too i'm sure there's other that's the case with other mediums and whatnot but games aren't as accessible as music like throwing on a record or throwing on a song for three minutes because somebody's talking about it right but you can still i still get some enjoyment out of games even when i'm not playing and i don't Truthfully, I don't play that much. Again, another reason for this podcast, but I still have that like insatiable appetite where I just want to hear about it. All the podcasts I listen to, all the news media I'm reading is all about games. And I'm like, why, why, why does that matter to me so much? (laughs) Even if I'm not playing these or never will. And I had the same experience with Elden Ring, right? I probably put five to 10 hours into it. I'm just like, I don't have a life for this right now. I wish I did. And maybe I'll keep chipping away at it, but like, it's just not there anymore. You know, there's only time for so much in your life it is interesting that games have created this space where there are lots of people who just watch them like sure that's that's something that i never understood but i was never a co-pilot like i had this word when i was younger for i had friends who were like they were co-pilots like friends who would come over and watch you play a video game i mean i had some friends in high school that i don't think ever played a game but watched me play video games for like 20 hours a week you know <laughs> uh and that's just how they liked it you know they didn't want to play uh, they, they didn't ask to play they just wanted to watch me play yeah. um and there, there's always been a contingent of people who were who got their jollies in that in that way i know my nephew who's 30 spends more time watching things on twitch than he plays himself i think he only plays like world of warcraft but he watches tons of stuff on twitch for you specifically, what is that interest for? Like, what keeps you interested in games? If if you're not playing, if you're doing things that are you know arguably healthier, like uh, playing piano and whatnot, what is it that keeps drawing you back to games anyway? Or even making a podcast, a highly produced podcast about <laughs> games? Like, what is it? Yeah, I mean, in some sense, it's just you know you you choose your tribe and then you're there you know you're like this is your family this is your home i have to keep vigilant watch out in case there's something that i absolutely have to play Mm. which i will you know if something comes along like it's like when breath of the wild came out oh i have time for that you know like and maybe i'll have time for the new one too if if there's a game that that's really gonna um like rock my world then i'm i'm gonna play it you know but in the meantime i i just sort of i keep my ear to the ground and i I mean i don't want to undersell how many games i do play i I probably finished eight or nine games last year i mean some of them were shortish you know that that's probably why i play so many indie things just because they have a little bit more adult running times than some of the huge triple a games but i you know i do 
play and i i just i i love a good game in the same way that i love a good book something special happens it's an alchemy of the mind when you're when you're like fully involved in something i'm playing metroid prime right now uh the remaster which i've found that i you know i've make i've made time to play and um i just that's one of my favorite games ever and even though i have yet to encounter anything in it that i didn't remember pretty much with 100 accuracy i still love the feeling of unlocking all those doors and finding all those power-ups and just the the methodical way that you go about something it's like tetris like the organizing of shapes there's something that your mind loves to do with um interactive experiences where you 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 see the thing and you're like okay now i'm gonna make it happen i'm gonna sort it all out i'm gonna do i'm gonna check off all the boxes on my list but i I think i think that that's kind of an adult or an old man style of gaming i I see my kids playing games and and like my my nine-year-old is obsessed with breath of the wild i gave it to him for his birthday this year and watching him play it is so different than how when i played that game i was like okay here we go let's go mountain to mountain let's 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 get to the next lookout you know the next tower let's unlock the map let's get all the power-ups let's right. beat all the shrines he just like straight up wanted to explore the world and I, I recognized that a game that i thought of as being kind of adult marketed or adult coded was actually obviously a game for kids it's it's in some ways the most accessible zelda game ever made you don't really have to fight that much if you don't want to combat's hard you could just mm-hmm. skirt around all that shit and it's basically just a big, open, beautiful backyard. It's every young kid's dream to go out on a beautiful day into the grassy field and run around and jump off mountains and climb trees. And it's I, I never even I didn't stop to smell the roses when I played that game. And uh, I, I love that there are experiences like that. And watching my kids play games in that way has been instructive. I, again, it's just another way in which you think kids are going to slow you down or, or like keep you out of the things that you like to do or whatever but for me it ended up being like a redoubling of my interest like they reflect that back at me and show me new new things about it like oh yeah this is cool i i should play zelda like this like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna wander around like it's kung fu you know i'm i don't i don't need to beat this yeah yeah you mentioned i guess games that blew you away mind-blowing games mind-blowing experiences can you i'll put you on the spot can you think of a few games that sort of did that to you throughout your life like games that you go back to it's like oh my god that was the that opened my mind that was revelatory yeah um i'm trying to think of like the earliest the earliest games when i was a kid weirdly like ninja gaiden uh the cutscenes, but also the brutal difficulty of that game like that's a game that I would rent that game from the grocery store and then pretend to be sick so that I could stay home from school <laughs> and spend all day trying to beat it and like never beat it and take it back to the grocery store. But I was attracted to the the world of that game. There was something about the art and the cutscenes. That whole era where you could be drawn into a game, not because of the way the game looked, but because of like the instruction booklet art or, yeah. or like the drawing on the cover, <laughs> all, all that stuff really fired up my imagination. Zel- the original Legend of Zelda, which was baffling to me when I was eight or nine, uh, I struggled through, but I used to just pour over that manual because the art made you feel like when you were playing it, you would Im- you would imagine that that's what you're playing. You're, you're playing this amazing looking dark 70 
Japanese kind of cartoon. That's what it, that's what I thought it reminded me of. Uh, but you know, later on, I mean, obviously, uh, Ocarina of Time, Grand Theft Auto Three, open world games at the beginning were a revelation to me. Yeah, Metroid Prime. I mean, I'm just listing off games. Maybe the my favorite most recent game that I would like put up there with other like, you know, top tier experiences in my gaming life was the the immersive sim Prey. Did you ever play sure, that? Yeah, I haven't played Oof. Prey. I've heard a lot about it. One of my uh, friends, Chris Plant, talks very highly about it. I, I love an immersive sim. I don't know if you if you've yeah. never played a game like this. It's like Bioshock, right? Is a famous one. Um, they're usually in first person. Deus Ex. Um, uh, in some ways, Breath of the Wild is an immersive sim because the idea is it's you have all these systems you can play with and they interact in in various ways. There's not just one way of going about winning or, or getting through the game. You can do lots of things. But Prey was like on a space station. It was kind of like, imagine if uh, Mark Zuckerberg like, had a space station or like Jeff Bezos or one of these Silicon Valley guys and, and, um, and did, they did science experiments outside of the reach of you know, regulation and it got out of control and, and things went haywire. It's, it's, it's just a really amazing world to explore, but also it's, it's a, the combat in the game is really stressful and weird and, and you have to figure out how to, how to get by. Um, it's not, you know, you're not going to just like call of duty it. You're not just going to walk around right. and like shoot people. It's, it's a, it's, it's a game where you got to sneak, you got to hack, you got to do all these things, but it's just a killer world. And I, I think of that game all the time. I, I, I wish I could, it's one of those games. I wish I could like erase my brain and play it again. Cause it, it was just a joy. I think learning is another part of this equation though. Like I'm, I'm a big, um, if I called myself an autodidact, that sounds kind of like, uh, a, a little inflationary of my ego, but I've, I've always like learned things myself more than being taught by other people. And I think it's because I have this style of learning that I got from video games where you just sort of like throw spaghetti at the wall. You, you experiment until you figure it out. Like maybe back when I was a kid, you know, you'd rent a game and it didn't even come with the instruction manual because it's a rental, right? So you're like just yeah. trying, there's no tutorial. You're like, you rent Final Fantasy one from the groceries store good luck kid like no one's ever <laughs> no one's ever told you what leveling is or anything you yeah. just have to like go out there and press buttons and see what happens and and i'm i'm that kind of person when it comes to learning i learn through experience and games really like taps into that you know yeah well i think and I've, I've read this in several places i think more recently is like the concept of failure is sort of thrown out the window like games allow you to fail and a lot of games lean into failure as as a way to learn going back to elden ring or anything from 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 soft these games that are just like ultra hard the whole point is to fail and i think that that we've had that growing up with games you know forever at least games where outside of the arcade where you're just you can't you don't want to fail in an arcade because you'll have a limited amount of quarters that you can throw back in the machine unless you're <laughs> hanging out with your dad in the in the bar where it seems to be endless <laughs> but with a home console you could do it forever and just keep going and going and going and learning from that mistake and pushing forward and um that's that's a interesting uh, an interesting thought. Yeah. I, and, and that's really I, on a core level. I think most games are about learning. I mean, you might not be learning anything useful, <laughs> but you're sure. kind of, you're kind of like teaching your brain to deal with a system or deal with the controls to, to parse what it is that you need to do to get to the next 
area or whatever. And I, I just, I crave that. I'm, I'm a, I'm a lifelong learning kind of guy. Like I, like I said, I'm like learning music theory right now. I've been making music forever. I, I just always want to be learning something. It makes me happy. It makes me, I, I, I feel a lack of satisfaction in my life if I'm not figuring something new out. I, I want to be on the, I'm trying to stay on the upswing and, and avoid the downswing in life for as long as possible. You know, once you stop learning new things, you just crystallize into some shitty version of your former self. You know, you're just, you just get smaller and smaller. You got to keep taking it in, keep learning and don't be baffled by all the new weird things, which is hard. It's really hard. I mean, I, I look at all this like AI stuff out there now and I have, I feel a real old man, you know, like urge to just turn it off. Like what? Well, I don't care. Yeah. Just shut up. I don't want to hear about it. But at the same time, I'm like, I got to figure out what this is and how maybe I, maybe it's something I should learn to use. I mean, I I know people have like knee jerk reactions to that stuff and I'm worried about all that stuff too. But whenever new, you know, new wrinkles come out, you, you just got to give, give it your shot. See if you can still handle it. You know, what I, what I'm hearing you saying is that you're going to set up a, a life well wasted TikTok, and the next episode <laughs> may be written by chat GPT, which could be kind of cool. Um, that that would be that would be a w one move. Yeah, I I don't mean like fully embracing everything, you know. I I just right. mean, you know, the older you get, the more it becomes apparent that life is just a series of catastrophic events that you have to adapt to mm -hmm. and and like I have no urge to live in a post-apocalyptic world where nobody knows how to fucking write a sentence anymore, but like the computer does all the work or whatever. But I, it's more that I just want to, I want to, you know, understand what's, what's going on and not give up and, and start shrinking in that way, I guess. I think a lot of times we use our gut reactions to wall off things that are unfamiliar so that we can stay in that warm bath of the familiar that always, you know, reliably makes you feel feel good. But I, I, I resist that. I push I push for, you know, understanding what the things are that um, I have negative reactions to. And sometimes I'm just like, no, I just don't like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And that's okay too, right? Like not everything's for, for you and never has been. No. So this is touching on a little bit about the future. And one of the questions I ask guests is what they're excited about regarding the future of video games. Have you given, given much thought to that? Is there anything that you see exciting on the horizon or sort of interesting developments or trends in games? I, I really like that there are so many um, hardware options popping up. Mm, interesting. It's wild to me that there must be like 15 um, handheld PC devices for playing games. And a lot of it is geared toward emulation. Um, but like I said earlier, I'm meeting more and more young people who are very interested in the, the history of games and playing older games. And my own kids, they want to play like Mario 64 and stuff like that. I think it's really cool that there are so many options out there to play with that it's not just like a you know, Sega versus Nintendo universe or wh whatever we grew up with. Yeah, I, I'm also, I'm pretty interested in now that text-to-speech has become so much better. I'm interested in speaking as a mechanic in games, which has been something that people played around with here and there for um, years. Usually it doesn't work. I can remember like a GameCube game 
God, what the, what is it called? It starts with an O, O, Osama, uh, it's not Okami? Osama, Okami, no. no, Okami is the adventure game with the dog. That's the wolf one, yeah. Oh my God, I'm bl- blanking here. Um, my, I just remember I reviewed it for uh, EGM and it had a microphone for the GameCube that you put on there and you, it was a pinball game using Japanese feudal warriors and um, Odama, Odama, that's what it is. Okay, um, but you had to like, command your warriors on the pinball table with the microphone so you'd be like press forward press forward my wife to this day will like make fun of me for that game she'll be like press forward out of nowhere just because she thought it was so dorky but oh my um, god i'm looking at screenshots of this i've never heard of this game it's fun. I love pinball personally. I have fond memories of that game. I haven't played it in years and years. But I, I think that um, speaking as a as a way of interacting with characters in a game could be really cool and weird. I, I There are things about it that I don't think anyone's really... Not anyone, but I don't think many people have imagined. I guess I think of that movie, Her. You remember sure. yep. maybe the last um, optimistic movie about the future that I can remember seeing. It was like the <laughs> the last time anyone had any optimism about the future. But there were these fake games uh, that were made for the movie by that guy who made Mountain, the oh, yes. indie game that would perpetuate uh, like a whole ecosystem. Um, and But there were games where he, he was just like talking to the character a lot. And I, I think that's interesting. People make fun of like chat GPT, the like chatting with it somewhat but i don't know we live in a lonely lonely world Uh, and and so like a game that you can have a conversation with is you know has some potential interest yeah i don't know there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff that is is probably going to happen soon that i'm i'm going to want to play i'm i'm i I think the games are as promising as they have ever been and there are just so many kinds of games out there that it's ridiculous that we call them all the same thing. You know, it's, it's like, uh, if we only had one word for books, it was like, do you want this novel about math? Like it's, it's strange. I, there, there ought to be more descriptive words for games. Yeah. Listeners, listeners of the show have heard me say that before. Like, I don't like the fact that we just sit there and call all these types of things video games, but I don't know if there's a better term for it other than like a digital experience or something like that. Uh, my first guest, Christian Spicer, called it, you know, we joked about calling them DEs going forward, but it's like there's nothing catchier and it's just kind of part of the fabric of, of life now that this this medium is is called video games. But yeah, it's like there always has been like what kind of experience do you want? Do you want a platformer? Do you want an adventure game? Do you want a shooter? Like it's it's gone beyond that now. And I think you're right, like with things like Mountain or, you know, we I don't know if you played Florence at all, which was kind of like a relationship not sim yeah, but it was like a yeah, story yeah. but it was like it ha- in using interactions on your phone and like natural natural interactions you would normally have on your phone but using them to create sort of a story and um there's some game i forget the name of it but uh you use your blinking is the mechanic so as you open and shut your eyes it sees that and it will progress the story along so you can only pay attention yeah. to a particular scene for so long because you have to blink so it just it's wild at that that, that I'm I'm playing Dredge right now. Have, have you sure, heard of yeah. Dredge? Yeah, it's like a it's a fishing game, but it's also kind of a Victorian horror novel. Um, it's very very strange combination of things. I don't know that. And then I think of like when I was in my uh, late twenties, having lots of friends over to play Rock Band, or or like even better than Rock Band, there was this game Karaoke Revolution that Konami made. That was a karaoke game that you played with a microphone, Mm -hmm. but it had a mini game that was Pong. 
uh, you know, the game where like table tennis, where you have two paddles and you pass a ball back and forth and you're trying to trying to keep it. But you controlled the paddles with your voice. So if you if you if you used a higher pitch, it would go the paddle would go up. If you used a lower pitch, it would go low and you would play in the room with someone else. Right. So you'd be going like, ah, 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 ah." but inevitably (laughs) you would just I mean, it sounded like like a Yoko Ono concert or something. And 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 people would just start cracking up, you know, and you couldn't play it because you if you were laughing, then your paddle would go all over the place and you'd end up losing. It was almost like a staring contest. Whoever laughs first loses the game. And uh, I, I just the novelty of that stuff. I, I, I'm very drawn to interface novelty, any kind of like unusual way to interact with the game. I, I'm there like I was one of those weird people who was like, when the Wii came out, I loved that shit. I was, I was yeah. like, yes, I want to stand up and wave my arms around like a maniac. I love all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, we are, we're, we're coming up on time and I oh, think that's okay. a great place to sort of, uh, <laughs> to, we're, we're going to leave it in that optimistic, uh, uh, you know, area and, um, and think about motion controls some more uh, as we, as we depart. But, um, <laughs> I, I want to thank you for, for again, taking part in the show and offering your time and, and, and um, chatting to me about this stuff is we veered off into music probably more than I anticipated, but I think that that was also appropriate as you are a, a musician. And again, that carries through on the, on your show, um, a life well wasted. Um, speaking of a life well wasted once more, is there more of that show to come? Can we expect more from you? Yeah, you, you, you should expect more now. <clears throat> As far as timelines go, I, that's, <laughs> that's really hard. I mean, I, I got to say, like, my current, my current, like, desire for it is really, if I could put out one a year, that would be lovely. Like, that, that's kind mm-hmm. of, to me, it's like a pet, it's like a, it's a, it's not a pet project. It's, a, it's like an art project, you know? It's not, it doesn't have commercials. It doesn't, um, there's a limited amount of um, possibility for me making money on it. It's really just a series of shows that I'm making because I'm interested in making them. I like the idea of making them until the title of the show is, is, is like literal. You know, like I'll, yeah. I'll make them until I die and then it'll be like a record of, of that. But, you know, I'll, I imagine I'll go through periods of being more productive with it uh, and less productive with it. But I have I have been interviewing uh, I, I, people for for a story that I have going on for it. I'm, I'm collecting. I'm sort of in the collecting material phase, which for me um, takes quite a lot of time. And I usually only end up using like a third of the material material that I collect. And I mean, at all, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff that just never makes it to the point of becoming a story because it just didn't really work out. And it takes me a while to gather up. I, I, I wish I had been gathering material for a couple of years before I even put this new one out and then I'd be in a better position. But as it is right now, I got, I got some good stuff going for it. And, um, and, and I'm also like juggling other podcast stuff because I'm, I'm working with a friend of mine on, uh, on a new show that's not explicitly video game related, but we already have like stories that are, are video game related. So yeah, so I'm working on a new show called uh, Married to the Sea, which is um, kind of a... The idea is, is very a life well wasted-esque. It's kind of uh, take the profile stories in a life well wasted and it's just those you know it's sure. we're, we're looking for people talking to people who um for whom they have some kind of passion for something that 
almost takes over their life. The the phrase married to the sea is like you're a sea captain, you don't have a family, you're married to your job, right? You're out on the ocean and people end up in that way with lots of hobbies and some professions, but usually it's more of a hobby. And we're working with, you know, an actual production company and, you know, it's a, it's like a commercial podcast. So it's a little bit more of a real job. Uh, compared mm-hmm. to a life well wasted, but I want a life well wasted to stay what it is and stay really f- like creative and different. I want to I want to feel free to just totally do something weird with that show whenever I want to. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I'm how I'm picturing it right now. That's awesome. And I'm trying to leverage those like production skills into yeah. you know making some money now and then. Would be good. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, do, doing what you love. Uh, well, blessing and a curse, I guess, but yeah. All right. Married to the sea. That's a rad name. It's the concept sounds awesome. Um, I'm excited to hear it. I'm excited to hear more life well wasted too. call me in 10 years. If you, if you need any help with anything, <laughs> but yeah, uh, again, I just, I, I sincerely appreciate your time. If, if I sounded any different on the show is because I am slightly starstruck by, uh, by chatting with you again, you've had such an impact on my <laughs> life. So thank you again. And, uh, yeah, I guess the last question I have for you before you depart is where can people find you or, or find your work? Yeah, yeah. I well, I still have a website because I'm old school as hell. So alifewellwasted.com has all of the episodes. Like I said before, there, there. It's there's no commercial element to it. It's very, um, it's independent media as it existed ten years ago. I haven't changed anything about it. it you can listen to the episodes directly from the website if you want, but it's uh, they're also on the you know the normal places. Well, a couple they're on Spotify and on the iTunes store. I did end up on Spotify. Um, I don't know how they talked me into that shit, but um, <laughs> uh, but on the you know the iTunes podcast as well. And I'm I still have a Twitter account. I don't post a lot because that place bums me out. But I really appreciate connecting with people there. And I have, you know, there are a couple hundred people that I interact with regularly there when I do feel like posting. It's just lately when I get on, I, I feel this urge to react to things. And, and my my current like style of Twitter is that no matter how bad or whatever is going on in the world that's being talked about on Twitter, I just I'm not going to react to it personally, publicly. I might react to it privately, talk about it with my friends, but I don't want to get involved in a public conversation about every terrible thing that happens in America because it's exhausting. And and but I love the the community of people there who follow games and who interact with me. I, I really like folks if I do tweet these days, it's usually about games. And yeah, that's that's an easy place to find me. And and you know, you'll be able to tell if there's a new thing out. I'll I'll put that stuff up there. Otherwise I'm not really I mean you can find me on Instagram, a life well tasted is my cooking account. I don't post often these days um, just because my family got tired of me like food styling their dinner <laughs> and they and my son like this is like would be 730 and it's after soccer practice and I'm trying to take a picture of his dinner and he's like, why? Why? You know, like, OK, this is reasonable. Eat. Just uh, I just I just cook for them. Well, I'll let your kids uh, continue to run your life and uh, <laughs> run your life through your kids. Um, yeah. All right, dude. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it was This was terrific and a, a dream come true for me. So um, Happy to talk anytime, man. This was fun. I cannot thank Robert enough for joining me on Why Button. If you haven't listened to A Life Well Wasted, stop what you're doing right now and go listen. 
There are only eight core episodes, so it shouldn't take you terribly long to get through them. And I strongly suggest starting from episode one. You won't be disappointed, though you may come to ask more of your favorite podcasts after listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the show, please share it with a friend. The easiest thing to do might be to share the website, whybutton.online. It includes links to all the most popular podcast platforms. If you want to get in touch, feel free to reach out to whybuttonpodcast at gmail.com or on Mastodon at whybutton at mastodon.social. You can also find me on Mastodon at Kyle Starr with two R's at mastodon.social. This episode was produced by AJ Folari. AJ, thank you, thank you, thank you. Our theme song was written by Childstar, who's me, featuring my friend Scott Wilkie. The track is called On the Same Page. You can find it on all streaming platforms. Thanks again for listening to Y Button, and remember, when you press Y, ask why. I, my voice is really, really bad. Oh, I don't mind. Okay. I, li- I like a bad voice. Okay. Uh, Too much partying. Yeah, uh, understandable. I'm here at the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, a yearly meetup for much of the gaming industry. It's a pretty boring event if you're not into sitting through talks about advanced techniques and artificial intelligence and staring at PowerPoint presentations all day. But it's a rare opportunity for man-on-the-street interviews about gaming. Practically anyone I run into here is a knowledgeable insider, an expert in the field, and I have a single, simple question. This is like an easy but surprisingly tough-to-answer question, Uh, and the question is, why do you play video games? Yeah, because it's fun. (laughs) Anything else? Because it's addictive. (laughs) Because I've done it all my life, and uh, I think it's more fun than watching TV. Why do I play video games? Uh, Because it's fun. Because it's stimulation. It's really fun, and it's all about making a time when you would be sitting doing nothing exciting. Because they're fun. And... (laughs) Something to do in your spare time? Yeah. You got a lot of spare time. <laughs> <laughs>I don't have a lot of spare time. I'm 30 years old, going on 90, married and juggling odd jobs to make ends meet. I've been playing games regularly since I was six or seven. I spent months, probably years of my life, twiddling my thumbs in front of a screen. Games are my default pastime, the thing I do when I've got time to kill, which is rare these days. The thing is, I'm not really sure what I get out of all that time invested. I have no idea why I play, and I worry that it might be for the same reason these guys play. Get away from reality for a while. To escape. Is it that bad? They're fun and escape from reality, I guess. <laughs> all right, I play video games to escape reality, get my mind off things, and because they're mad fun. Because it's fun. It helps me forget about my life, my horrible life. That's that's a, that's non-inspiring. <laughs> Is that depressing? <laughs> no, it's great. Why do you play video games? Uh, to fight the boredom and monotony of day-to-day existence. Do you do you feel like it it contributes to your life in any way? Do you no. feel like no? <laughs> no, it uh, it just helps to get away from the day-to-day monotony of uh, the horror of existence. <laughs> I I like this answer. Okay, thanks. I thought, I just... thought you might. Welcome to A Life Well Wasted, an internet radio show about video games and the people who love them. I'm your editor and host, Robert Ashley, and this is episode three, Why Game? Ooh, that's-
uh, it's a big question. It's a yeah. big ass question. Uh, it's uh, uh, relieve boredom.